This is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. The state legislature is considering a bill that would restrict the use of so-called conversion therapy on children and adolescents by counseling professionals licensed by the state. Conversion therapy is a discredited practice that claims to change sexual orientation. It is considered unethical and even abusive by many licensed mental health professionals, and several other states have already placed restrictions on the practice. The bill being considered in Maine would only ban the practice for children and adolescents. Adults could still seek out conversion therapy if they choose. And it would only govern professionals who are licensed by the state. Technically, anyone can call themselves a counselor or a life coach without any training, experience, or oversight. And many do, often within church communities. But professionals who are licensed by the state are required to prove that they have received a certain level of training and education in their field. In most, if not all cases, they have to pass it a licensing exam, engage in continuing education, be supervised by other professionals, and follow codes of ethics. It is those state licensed professionals that would be prohibited by law from practicing conversion therapy on children and adolescents in Maine. The Legislature's Labor, Commerce, Research, and Economic Development Committee held a public hearing on this bill, LD 912, on February 14th. It drew such a crowd of people wishing to testify on both sides of the issue that the hearing lasted several hours. We're going to start main Currents today with a presentation of the bill, which included a personal story, and then we'll hear from one of the expert witnesses. Chairwoman Volk, honorable members of the Joint Standing Committee on Labor, Commerce, Research, and Economic Development. I am Ryan Fecto, representative from House District 11, part of Biddeford. I am here today to present LD 912, an act to clarify the scope of practice of certain licensed professionals regarding conversion therapy. I'm going to share a story with you this morning. I have purposely not provided my testimony, so hopefully you'll be listening. I'm going to share a story with you this morning. As you listen, please keep this quote from the legendary musician Bob Dylan in mind. Quote, I think of a hero as someone who understands the degree of responsibility that comes with his freedom, end quote. This story begins in the summer of 2012. It's around 10 p.m. The young man stands pacing in his bedroom, still adorned with curtains and a comforter featuring his favorite MLB team growing up. His nerves are rattled. Have you ever had that feeling where you knew the only way to resolve something was to say it aloud? Your deepest fear, however, was the unknown. How will they react? Rejection, outrage, love, acceptance. You run the scenarios through your head a million times, with each prompting a reaction worse than the one before. Finally, the young man sits down his phone where he had drafted what to say, as if drafting his own State of the Union, takes a deep breath in, opens his bedroom door, and slowly heads upstairs to his parents' room, while praying to his de deceased grandfather, quote, please, please let it be good, he whispers. <coughs> He walks up to his mom, who is awake, watching some late-night television, and says, Mom, I need to tell you something. What's the matter, she responds. I'm gay, he replies, his voice cracking. His mom begins to cry, but it's not an outrage or disappointment. She embraces him for what seems like an eternity and repeatedly affirms, I love you no matter what. Three years of hiding his innate being from the person that knew him from bottles and diapers was no more. Just before that summer of 2012, he had experienced a troubling encounter at his university. He was the leader of an LGBTQ student organization and the newly elected 
president of the student body. Not everyone in the university's administration favored the existence of an LGBTQ student org on campus. He respected those opinions, but always felt the best way to generate common understanding was to sit down at the same table and talk. This 19-year-old student met with one administrator in particular on a handful of occasions. Despite differences of opinion, he came to trust him, to look up to him. The conversations were eclectic, not always focused on the LGBT group, this administrator possessed the capacity of heroism, much like our physicians and nurses, to be trusted with one's life. The student trusted him with his best interests and the interests of his peers on campus. As the semester wound down, the student met with the administrator again, and the tone shifted dramatically. Quote, suicide affects everyone, not just LGBTQ people, the administrator declared, as though the campus group's argument that administrators should support its existence to help combat the higher rates of rejection-fueled suicide in the LGBT community was benign. He abruptly continued, quote, one day I hope you will see beyond your gay identity and take in what life has to offer you. The student was stunned into silence. The administrator added, quote, I recommend you read Beyond Gay by David Morrison, end quote. The student left the meeting, sprinted across campus to his friends, and together they Google searched the book. The description was a gut punch. His confidence in, the, in this administrator evaporated and was replaced by feelings of fear and self-loathing. The recommended book encouraged, quote, reparative therapy, otherwise known as so-called conversion therapy. The student wrote in an email to a friend, quote, I spent the next night crying. I'm not one to shed tears often, let alone cry hysterically, Yet on this night, the night before returning home for summer break, I cried hysterically in the arms of my friends. He returned to university in the fall and continued to lead the LGBT organization. He carried the weight of that earlier meeting and struggled with mental exhaustion. Winter break arrived and his dad picked him up. Looking out the window as trees flew by on the highway, he for the first time in his life contemplated his continued existence. He had this internal discussion almost if there were two voices concerning whether or not he ought to be alive. It tormented him for the duration of winter break. This openly gay young man was, who was finding his way in life and who'd found the guts to come out to his parents and the confidence to lead an LGBTQ organization on campus, become student body president and work as paid staff on marriage equality campaign, could not shake the self-hatred, unworthiness, and haunting message that he was broken after a trusted university administrator told him, in essence, reparative therapy, to seek reparative therapy, to be beyond gay. Madam Chair, honorable members of this committee, I know this story well because that young man was me. This is my story. It's a story I've spent a long time denying. There's nothing more painstaking than to admit that you've contemplated suicide. It's something I've only said aloud a few times. I'm so lucky and grateful to have persevered with the help of so many supportive persons in my life. I'm so thankful to be here today as a state legislator to present this bill because I know there are young people who are far more vulnerable than I was then. I want to protect them from the harm that could come from a trusted professional telling them one way or another that they are broken, that the core truth of who they are is wrong and even disgusting. And I know you do too. Without a doubt, there are children whose lives would be taken from us at the very suggestion of needing to be fixed 
or needing to be beyond gay. Whether physical tactics or talk therapies, efforts to change what is not broken, to look for a trauma or difficulty that may have caused it are harmful and at worst deadly. Reparative therapy has been condemned by the American Academy of Nursing, American Academy of Pediatrics, American Academy of Physical Assistance, American Association of Marriage and Family Therapy, American Association of School Administrators, American Counseling Association, American Medical Association, American Psychiatric Association, American Psychoanalytic Association, American Psychological Association, American School Counselor Association, American School Health Association, and the National Association of School Social Workers, to name just a few. These organizations condemn the practice on the premise that it is, has time and time again been proven to cause tremendous physical and psychological harm to children and fails to achieve its goal of changing a person's sexual orientation or, ge or gender identity. Let me be clear about what LD-912 is and what LD-912 is not. If passed, it would prohibit licensed professionals from deploying harmful conversion therapy methodology. It would also define advertisements promoting the effectiveness of conversion therapy as deceptive. LD-912, if passed, would still allow a religious institution to hire clergy or other personnel who wish to minister or counsel according to their beliefs. The key distinction being it, the person does not hold a state-issued license. Thus, the state is not condoning the chosen religious practices of that, of that institution. Secondly, this law does not prohibit the practice of professionally accepted therapies. And finally, it does not apply to any adult age 18 or older. The World Psychiatric Association concludes, quote, there is no sound scientific evidence that innate sexual orientation can be changed. Furthermore, so-called treatments of homosexuality can create a setting in which prejudice and discrimination flourish and they can be potentially harmful. The provision of any intervention purporting to, quote, unquote, treat something that is not a disorder is wholly unethical. It is clear that reparative therapy perceives LGBTQ people as disordered. It's a practice founded on, on the notion of repairing someone, even though they are not broken. Professionals licensed are main, are heroes and heroines to their clients, and that is even more true with youth. The state should not grant licensees to those who join these heroic professions and abuse their responsibility and freedoms by damaging vulnerable young people through the practice considered bunk by leading health organizations. Madam Chair, members of this committee, our heroes should not be our victimizers. Let's pass this law and join four Republican governors who have signed it into law in their respective states and become the 10th state overall. Perhaps Governor Christie said it best, quote, the American Psychological Association has found that efforts to change sexual orientation can pose critical health risks including but not limited to depression, substance abuse, social withdrawal, decreased self-esteem, and suicidal thoughts. I believe that exposing children to these health risks without clear evidence of benefits that outweigh these risks, serious risks, is not appropriate, end quote. In 2012, when someone could have been my hero, he was instead my victimizer. He exercised his freedom, but mismanaged his responsibility. His comments left me with a psychological burden which in turn posed one of the critical health risks Governor Christie cited when he signed New Jersey's prohibition into law. Let me be clear, there is indeed a difference between talk therapy that is neutral, helping someone sort out the complexities of sexual orientation and gender identity, versus talk therapy and it intended to change someone based on the assertion that something is wrong with them. 
The later is not therapy, it is indeed abuse. I brushed up with this so-called talk, and it paralyzed my emotional health. I could not imagine what would have happened to me if I experienced the so-called therapy at a medical professional's office over many weeks and months. The legislature has a responsibility to protect young people who are especially vulnerable from these medically condemned practices. The legislature must mitigate exposing children to this harm, to this hurt, to this rejection of their innate, beautiful selves. Please support LD912. Good morning, uh, committee. Thank you very much. Um, thank you, Chairperson Volk, Representative Fecteau, uh, honorable members of this committee. Um, my name is Mary Bonato. I am an attorney at a place called GLBTQ Legal Advocates and Defenders, which is a New England-wide legal organization. And I work there from here. Uh, my home is in Portland. And our organization supports and is even currently working on other bills in New England states um, to ban licensed certified counselors from engaging in the discredited and harmful practice of seeking to change a minor's sexual orientation or gender identity. So my hope, um, and I hope you will interrupt me if I'm not talking about something you want to hear, um, my hope is to, to share with you why I think this bill is necessary to protect the health and safety and welfare of young people in this state who are LGBT, um, to answer your questions, and honestly, to assist you in any way I can going forward as you consider this bill. So I'm going to do three things. One, introduce the topic and also the structure of the bill, address the harms caused to young persons and their families by conversion therapy and the utter inefficacy of such treatments, and third, address some of the issues we've heard from those opposing the bill, at least what I've been able to review in writing, including issues about litigation. So first, um, with respect to the bill structure and why it's structured the way that it is. So we start with conversion therapy, which is also called sexual orientation change efforts, also called reparative therapy. They're all synonymous. You know, these are a legacy of our nation's history of oppression of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender persons. The premise of this therapy, the thing underlying all of it, is that being an LGBT person is a mental defect, a disorder that can be cured. And this view is contrary to the medical consensus on a number of levels. For an individual to have a same-sex sexual orientation or a gender identity different from the sex that they were assigned at their birth is, according to many of the organizations that Representative Fecteau just read aloud, part of a spectrum of natural positive human sexuality and identity. Nothing pathological about them. What is, of course, what does create pathology is discrimination. Discrimination does definitely stress people out, to put it mildly. Um, so there can certainly be stress and harm caused from discrimination when you have such an identity. Medical authorities have stated time and again that being a lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender person is not an illness, does not affect your vocational abilities to work, to have a family, to love, to be a productive part of society. And the task of young people, which is what this bill is about, is to explore and develop their identities, not to have one forced on them that is at odds with who they are. After extensive study, 
you heard, there are many major medical organizations and professional associations that have found no scientific validity for conversion therapy and that neither sexual orientation nor gender identity can be made to change through hard work, will, and some of the practices that are engaged in um, under the rubric of conversion therapy. These are damaging to children and damaging to their families. So to this end, what does the bill do? I, I recognize it's a long bill, and I think that had to happen that way because there were so many different professions that were regulated. So the bill defines what is prohibited. What's prohibited is conversion therapy on a person under age 18, and the bill also goes out of its way to say what is not conversion therapy. Um, and Okay, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a bit. And these definitions are repeated through the bill with respect to each of the um, entities, regulated physician assistants, psychologists, and so on and so forth. So the bill, as I just said, addresses who is prohibited from engaging in conversion therapy. We're talking about the people that the state of Maine licenses and certifies. That's what gives Maine such, one of the things that gives Maine such an interest here. So it applies to certified school psychologists and guidance counselors nurses, doctors, physicians assistants, psychologists, psychological examiners, alcohol and drug counselors and their aides, social workers, pharmacists and pharmacy technicians, professional counselors, marriage and family therapists, pastoral counselors, speech language pathologists, and audiologists. Again, each of these is a profession that is licensed by the state of Maine to provide genuine, effective therapeutic work. The bill also establishes grounds for discipline of regulated professionals when they administer conversion therapy, uh, including license suspension or revocation. And it establishes, as do several other states, as an unfair trade practice, the advertising, offering, or administering of conversion therapy to minors under existing main state law. I mean, think about it. People reasonably assume that when a professional is licensed by the state, that, and you all know what the scope of practice and you know, deal with these kinds of things all the time, what's safe and not safe, that the provider is not going to do something harmful to a child or to their family. And it also means you can't make fraudulent promises in exchange for money. I'm going to cure you. I'm going to change this. You can beat this. This is, uh, this is an accepted practice. That is fraud. Um, frankly, it's as fraudulent as me going to a doctor because the doctor says they're going to make me grow six inches taller or make me left-handed. So this bill really asks for the state to put a stop to something that is unethical and damaging mistreatment of children and exploitation of their families. I also want to just say there's a few other pieces of the bill. Uh, very briefly, as to health care providers, the unfair trade practices action for administering prohibited conversion therapy is not governed by the typical pre-litigation screening process that's established under the Maine Health Security Act. Um, and that's also true in some other states. Um, Maine care reimbursement is prohibited for conversion therapy. And I want to also note particularly that clergy who are exempt from regulation generally are also exempt from this law when, as the statute provides, they provide counseling as part of their religious duties in connection with a particular place of worship. I do want to clarify, however, that such clergy are not exempt from the Unfair Trade Practices Act if they offer conversion therapy to minors who are not part of their place of worship for monetary compensation. In other words, trying to take this on the road and um, 
you know, sell conversion therapy services. Okay, so with respect to the harms and the inefficacy of conversion therapy, you know, you were going to hear today and you've already received testimony from organizations that have scientific sounding names and seem to quote studies, but I just want to be clear that these organizations are very far outside of the mainstream medical community. The American College of Pediatricians is a great example of this. It is a small advocacy group. It is not the American Academy of Pediatrics, which is really our nation's pediatricians. And that group founded itself when it objected in 1992 to the American Academy of Pediatrics issuing a paper that said, actually, there really is no reason why qualified same-sex couples should not be able to jointly adopt and raise children. It would be good for the children, and there's nothing deficient about these parents. And that effectuated a splinter. Um, and this group has continued ever since then to continue to try to pathologize both sexual orientation and gender identity. So as I think I've already alluded to, conversion therapy really is an ongoing stigma and really legacy of discrimination against um, LGBT people. Um, it comes from an era where um, being in a same-sex relationship um, was considered a mental disorder, including by the psychiatric authorities, um, and was criminalized. Um, and we have, you know, there are, you've heard stories, of course, and they are true, about um, horrific aversive therapies, as they call them, like electroshock and nausea-inducing drugs, lobotomies, even castration. And while we have come a long way from those days, I want to be clear that discrimination and stigma remain, as do the attempts to cure something that is not broken. And the cure itself does, the attempted cure itself, is what does the harm. The opponents of this bill say they're only interested in talk therapy, but that therapy is no less damaging than the physically abusive tactics of earlier years. This state, of course, has a duty to protect all persons and particularly to shield youth from harm for their interest and for society's interests. So as the state's, with the state's role as parens patriae, I would urge that this bill is one that protects youth health and is in accord with the established medical consensus. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. This is a February 14th legislative public hearing on LD-912, a bill that would curtail the discredited practice of conversion therapy on children in Maine. The law would apply to professionals licensed by the state. That last speaker was Mary Bonato, an attorney at GLBTQ Legal Advocates and Defenders. We now return to hear more excerpts from the hearing. Good morning. Uh, my name is... Uh Representative Gerald Craig, District 128, which is the city of Brewer. Uh, this testimony is from uh, constituents who could not be here, so I am just reading this on their behalf. So as I read it, obviously, I am not these individuals. Chairpersons Volk and Fecto, honor members of the LCRED committee. My name is Gary Turgeon. I cannot be here in person, but I thank you for the opportunity to express my opposition to LD 912. I'm a licensed counselor and have been a, in the pastorate for 20 years. I must share with you that this legislation is troubling to me as I see it handcuffing me and my colleagues in helping those clients who come to us seeking help with the same-sex attraction. If this legislation were to pass and a client enters my practice, sharing the same worldview as I do, he or she would suffer 
as I cannot help them through the counseling that they would receive. I would be unable to present an alternative to their current feelings and behaviors. I have had people in the past who have come to me seeking help who have learned to place these feelings and behaviors aside and live productive lives. It is the goal of both parties to help people, but not to place restrictions as described in the legislation. It begins to limit the therapeutic relationship. I would hope that you would reconsider this legislation and think about the overall impact that can have on the individual and his or her family. Thank you. That was one, and then there's another one. Dear Chairpersons, Volk, Infecto, the honored members of the LCRED Committee, thank you for the opportunity to voice opposition of the amendment LD912. As headmaster of Bangor Christian Schools, I am concerned with how this bill will impact our students and school. The mission of Bangor Christian Schools is to assist the families educating the whole child by encouraging the spiritual maturity and academic excellence in a supportive environment. Our final authority in all matters is the Word of God. Every facet of our program seeks to understand God, His creation, His purpose for humanity, and to have our students accept their responsibility for each of those things. We have a school counselor on staff, and we refer students as necessary to several licensed counselors that hold to biblical worldviews consistent with our mission vision, and statement of faith. The amendment to LD912 removes options to help students that have unwanted feelings and attractions to someone of the same gender. For example, if a student expresses romantic attractions or feelings towards someone of the same gender, the only option available to our school counselor is to affirm the student's views or position, even though it contradicts our own statement of faith. We would no longer be able to recommend that that student meet with a licensed counselor that holds a biblical worldview since those counselors are also impacted by this bill. It is reassuring to see that there is an exception for clergy in the amendment bill, but it is not, an appropriate, it is not appropriate to remove access to a licensed counselor uh, that holds a biblical worldview. I am not a counselor, but I am uh, sure that there are many reasons why a person may be attracted to someone of the same gender. It is not my intent to list or describe a range of possibilities in this letter. It is safe to say, however, that not everyone who experiences these feelings acts on them. In fact, some people have these feelings in fact, some people that have these feelings do not want to have them at all. How are we, as a school, supposed to help a student that is in a situation when this bill cuts off access to a licensed counselor who are trained to handle this issue with grace and love and care from a biblical perspective? It simply does not make sense to me why we would even consider legislating the type of support trained professionals can provide for their patients or clients. I understand that there are many counselors in, in practice that do not hold a biblical worldview. I am not advocating that we force them into a, uh, to affirm biblical values. Why is it acceptable the other way around? Specific to our situation, 
Why is it acceptable to force a counselor at a Christian school to affirm a student's attractions for someone of the same gender when it goes against the school's statement of faith? This bill eliminates the option of counseling from a, public, from a biblical perspective entirely. I believe the state of Maine should have options and choices in counseling for these issues. And uh, I would, I did not write these. I am representing them as my job. And uh, you opened with freedom in a poem. And this bill limits it. Good morning. Yes, it still is morning. Uh, good morning, uh, Senator Vogt and uh, Representative Fecto and members of the Labor, Commerce, and Research and Economic Development Committee. I'm Representative Jeff Hanley, and I represent the towns of Randolph, Pittston, Alden, and West Cassett. I'm here today to oppose LD 912, an act to clarify the practice of certain licensed professionals regarding conversion therapy. And I'll, I'll be off script a little bit, but I'll read this to you. This bill attacks the very foundation of our society and families. Should this become law, the state, and not the parents, would control how a child would be talked to, treated for, and what they are, for what they are thinking or feeling about themselves. It would also remove the rights of the mother and father to choose how to care for their child in a manner that reflects their beliefs. We are stepping on sacred ground when the state can control the type and style of words that a counselor can or cannot use in a private setting when treating someone with a mental or emotional problem. Will we start to control what is said to people with bipolar or depression issues? Will we create law that, that will say you can't use certain phrases or words? What will happen if a child goes to school and says that her parents are telling what she, feel, what she is feeling is not normal or natural? Will the school need to contact the state? Or will, this, will we need to send child protective services to the home to warn the parents or to remove the child? This law is a slippery slope. It is the state putting its feet in two places where they don't belong, in the counselor's office and in the family. I urge you to vote no uh, ought not to pass on LD 912. Uh, my name is Matthew Shurka. I am a conversion therapy survivor. I'm also the national advocate for the Born Perfect campaign, which is a national campaign to protect LGBT youth for the, in, throughout the entire nation. Um, born and raised in New York, I was treated in four different states over a five-year period. I was started my treatment at the age of 16, and it ended at 21. Uh, I come from a very conservative family. I grew up on the North Shore of Long Island. Uh, my father was the first person I came out to. Um, I, was I had experienced uh, interest in boys, but I dated women, and I felt my father would be the best person to trust and to um, either gain his support or you know, support me through this process. Um, my parents were very loving. Uh, my father gave me the best response I could have asked for. He said he supported me no matter what. And my father then began to have his very own fears of what it meant that his only son was gay, uh, what that meant for our family, um, and what my future looked like. Uh, neither of my parents have ever heard of conversion therapy. Uh, they did their research and asked around in a, a weird way. I guess they did their due diligence. Um, and a licensed practitioner in New York had explained to them that there is no such thing as homosexuality, 
um, and that because I had not experienced intercourse at that time, I had they believed I would experience full heterosexuality within a period of six weeks. Um, so my first sessions began in Manhattan. Um, a lot of the dialogue you heard here was to find my childhood traumas. It was very difficult for me to find that because I had a very loving and secure upbringing. But being the son of, I have two sisters above me and a, and a mom, which according to conversion therapy and or reparative therapy, um, it's a strong case for too much fem femininity in my home um, and not enough uh, masculine roles. So um, I, was, I wasn't allowed to speak to my mother and my sisters for three years. We were separated. Uh, this was the way to defeminize the influence at home, and I had to spend as much time as possible with my male figures at school and with my father. Um, I was a straight-A student. This had a huge impact to my education, uh, how I was able to deal with friends at school. Um, I became depressed, but I really believed that the, it was working, um, because I only have a minute and 45 seconds left. <laughs> uh, just to explain, um, I contemplated suicide for about two years. Um, I was forced to use Viagra pills in order to have sex with women uh, in my early 20s. And I was a perfectly young and healthy young man who had to go through five years of treatment saying that everything I'm doing was not correct. Um, I was treated by Joseph Nicolosi Sr. And reparative therapy is a trademark term. And, uh, and his father passed away in March of 2017. And I really feel for the Nicolosi family and understand he's defending his father. Um, but my family spent $30,000 on my treatment. And it is a business, and it's a nationwide business. I was treated by the Jonah Organization, which was mentioned earlier by Mary, which the lawsuit was taken down in Jersey, which thankfully Governor Chris Christie passed um, before marriage. Um, what we know now is that 700,000 Americans have been put through conversion therapy. 78,000 youth will go through conversion therapy in the next five years. And I'm looking at what, what does that mean? So what do, what do we do going forward from here? Do we allow the estimated 78,000 children to go through this, um, which is the leading suicide rate for the LGBT community? Or do we, as the legislature of Maine, have a, a way to prevent this from happening going forward? Um, I didn't take my own life. I'm really thankful that I got to be here. Um, I've lost people who've been in the treatment with me. I've met about 1,000 teenage boys in my five years. And so I, I know I'm not from here, but I, um, I'm glad that you gave me the opportunity to speak, and thank you. Thank you. Well done. Any questions? Senator Bellows. I'm not sure if I heard that right. How much money did your family spend, and, and who, who was treating you? So, uh, my parent, family spent $30,000 total. I was, I was under the care of Joseph Nicolosi Sr., who advised all my treatment because I was moved around. I was treated in four different states. I complained every time to Nicolosi Sr. about the therapist, and I was just giving a new one. The goal was because Nicolosi is based in Encino, California, uh, it was better to have in-person treatment. I did move to California. I was put someone in Pasadena, um, and he was guiding me and trying to make every mistake that happened. Um, by the age of 20, I was estranged from my parents completely, um, and it took me to come out of the closet at the age of 23 um, and able to start rebuilding my family relationships, and which I'm close to my parents. My parents are divorced, um, but I'm very close to both of them today. I, Representative Mastrakia. Thank you, Madam Chair, and thanks for sharing your story because I'm sure it's difficult to share those kinds of, of details. 
I just am curious, I mean, you just said that your parents are divorced and this long, I mean, I know that any kind of illness or any kind of perceived problem in a family can sometimes really create a lot of issues. Do you feel like the fact that this therapy was introduced and, and did that have an effect on your parents, the whole family's um, relationship? Uh, 100%. Um, you know, every parent has their, their, every couple has their issues, of course, but the debate my mom, my parents were naive. We grew up in a conservative town. We didn't know anyone gay personally, besides what we ever saw in the media. And they felt they would not, would not take me to a religious figure. They wanted me to be treated by a mental health professional. When the treatment included not speaking to my mother, that's when my mother started to speak up and she couldn't understand any treatment that would separate or, you know, I had to disengage as much from her as possible. Um, and that became arguments, do we remove Matthew myself? Do we remove you, myself out of the home? Do we keep me in the home? How do, you know, I come from a really close-knit family. Um, this is unheard of. Uh, we don't separate each, each other. So it, it, ended, it turned, my sisters were in college. What it looked like was me waking up every morning, mom would make me breakfast, and I would just walk out the door and I never said a word to her for three years. And it, um, the fighting between my parents began because my mother tried to break this. But because I feared, I was told between my father, the therapist that were treating me, how horrible my life would be if I came out, I became my own police officer. I, I am the teenager that had unwanted same-sex attraction. I gave the therapy my best. So when my mother would say to me, it's okay, I love you, you can be who you are, I would throw a tantrum at her because I believed from what I learned in therapy was there was too much femininity in my home, so I blamed her. So she had, my mother would have no chance at convincing me. And she just, for years, tried to give me love and support. And um, I mean, my mother had no idea where, when, after I moved out of the house, she had no idea where I was for about three, four years until we reconnected. And so, sorry, I'm, I'm answering the question, but, uh, uh, which is just that this was a huge contributing factor to their divorce in terms of their disagreement and how to handle their children. Um, I love my father. I understand my father wanted what he imagined was the best life for his son, and he believed that if he had an opportunity to give this to me, it was an opportunity for him to provide that, not realizing how harmful it was. Um, yes, there was an enormous amount of money that was lost, but I'm not, I mean, I'm happy that I didn't commit suicide. It was something I, I planned thoroughly, um, and I, I cut myself many times, but never did a full attempt. Um, and I'm, th I'm thankful for that, and I think my parents are really thankful for that. So money almost seems secondary. I bring it up just because the trademark value came up, and by definition, reparative therapy and conversion therapy are the same. It's just that there's a family of the Nicholas Lee entity, which, yes, trademarked the name, and conversion therapy, from a branding point of view, is not matching what they would like reparative therapy to look like on a public level. As Representative Sylvester. Thank you very much for your testimony today. So what the process that you went through was reparative therapy? It, yes, it's Nicolosi's coined term. Conversion therapy and other used irreversibly. Um, I mean, we can go back, you know, Nicolosi got his work from um, Dr. So Dr. Socrates, who's a Columbia professor, started in New York back in the 50s. And it kept, you know, it's, it's marketing, it's, it's branding. Um, so the, it's just his trademark. But it's, I was being, I, I, my ther therapist, whether it was Nicolosi himself, but every therapist I had was, treat, was sorry, trained by Nicolosi. 
So I was experiencing Nicolosi reparative form of conversion therapy. I know I just used it irreversibly in, in the own sentence, but. Thank you. Quick follow-up. Yeah. So I'm looking at another therapist here because I wanted to see other therapists that were that were using the same term. And I'm assuming it's not trademark infringement that they're using it. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that popped up on the page of this one doctor was, man, feeling my own sense of mascul masculinity feels a lot better than sex with guys. <laughs> It's a common one. It's a common and statement. So, and it's a you know, statement from actual client. And I guess I'm interested in how was it explained to you that the ideal in this therapy of masculinity, how did, what did they explain that that was? I mean, what was the goal of? Um, I mean, I don't know. Of course, you can look up, you can pull up a dictionary of masculinity and femininity, but there's no real clear defined definition. I've never felt, I've never felt less of a man in my childhood or growing up. Um, but how... I mean, I was explained fully um, why I felt the way I am. So according to Nicolosi Reparative Therapy, there is no such thing as homosexuality. It's all stemmed from it's a long range of things. It can be an overbearing mother to sexual abuse, like you heard. There's a range of things that could have happened. And I was explained why my desires were this way purely from this theory, which has never been proven by any independent source. This is Maine Currents on WERU-FM. You're listening to a February 14th legislative public hearing on LD-912, a bill that would curtail the discredited practice of conversion therapy on children in Maine. The law would apply to professionals who are licensed by the state. So Senator Volk, Representative Fecteau, and the esteemed members that are here of the Joint Standing Committee on Labor, Commerce, Research, and Economic Development. My name is Mike McClellan, actually a former rep. I sat where you did one time before. And I currently represent the Christian Civic League of Maine, and today I'm here strongly to urge you to vote against LD-912. Christian Civic League, founded in 1897, is a nonpartisan, nonprofit research and education organization dedicated to the preservation of the family and Christian values. I'm here again to speak against this, this bill today. I anticipate today's public hearing, and it has been, difficult for all. There will be narratives and talking points that seem to present two different stories to you. Your charge and your responsibility will be to sort through all this and make a decision based on facts. Major points to understand in this discussion include that you'll hear this legislation is needed to stop abuses done to minors, when in fact the abuses stated and have already been said are already against the law. You'll hear this legislation is needed to protect some minors when we would make the case this will actually in fact take rights away from many minors and as it's been pointed out will also take away parental rights. You will hear this suggested abuse is a current Maine problem. In fact, I called around Maine. Uh, I contacted Maine Department of Health and Human Services and also the Department of Professional and Financial Regulation to confirm that there are no cases, there's no complaints being made about the thing we're talking about today. Um, to, be clear, to be clear, a therapy using shame, pain, coercion would find the Christian Civic League as a foe. We would be against it. The therapy we're talking about today uh, and targeted by 912 is actually called reparative therapy. And there are many cases where we have found that minors and adults have returned to free and productive lives after the therapy. The people who seek, and that's important, the people who seek reparative therapy are not being converted um, to someone new, but are choosing to return to who they believe they are, a life that was changed and affected often by some past abuse. Thus, reparative is, it's reparative to their life. Key to reparative therapy is being client-centered. The individual is seeking help and support. The client drives the process, setting the objectives and the goals. The client is asking and choosing this therapy model. 
LD-912 would make it against the law to offer reparative therapy. In fact, it would make therapists who use this model open to lawsuits for offering a service that's been proven. Why is it? There really has not been any evidence today to show that there, there should be this kind of a harsh reaction. Um, you will likely hear many national professional organizations will be supportive of this legislation and that they will speak not very highly of reparative therapy. But I've done the reading. It's just them saying it. They, they have nothing to base that. There's no study. They have not solicited from their membership. Um, they will also probably mention that there's um, scientific. I've heard today people say the scientists are all in, uh, in favor of this bill. In fact, there is no consensus. And again, you can go find that. What you can know, which is, which is factual, is that studies I've read, there's as many as 25% of youth have been found to, in their teenage years, suffer from some sexual confusion. It's normal. I remember being a teenager. It was a confusing time in a lot of ways. Um, studies tell us by the time they turn 25, about 87% of these people settle into a heterosexual lifestyle. Um, if you look at the 2010 U.S. Census, there was actually a place that it allowed people to claim sexuality, and 1.5% of people responded claiming they were homosexual. I only bring this up because it states basically teens struggle and things change. Uh, kids need options. So why would we want to take options away from them? Um, thank you, Senate Chairs, Senator Volk, Representative Fecto, and distinguished members of the Lab Committee on Labor, Commerce, Research, and Economic Development for the opportunity to share my testimony with you today. I'm Penny Morrell, State Director of Concerned Women for America of Maine, and we oppose LD-912. First and foremost, this legislation is dangerous to children. To block conversion therapy is to hinder the natural flow of gender development. Last September, the American College of Pediatricians revealed that as many as 80% of girls and 90% of boys will naturally outgrow any gender confusion by the end of puberty. They warned, endorsing gender discordance as normal via public education and legal policies will confuse children and parents, leading more children to present to gender clinics where they will be given puberty-blocking drugs. While it is not always the case, Scholars have found that for some individuals, gender confusion is reactive, a defense mechanism in childhood sexual abuse. Excuse me. Many children have been hurt deeply, whether sexually or verbally, and are responding to that abuse the only way they know how. For this reason, gender identity issues must be handled with utmost sensitivity. They should not be handled with closed minds that trap a child in one way of thinking. Children need to know that change is possible, not impossible. This bill is a threat to parental rights. There are many parents who are grief-sticken about issues related to their children's sexual identity. This bill would shut down every option other than affirming therapy and lead us down the slippery slope of restricting parental rights. Parents love their children, want the very best for them. They have a right to make choices for their children. They have a right to get a second recommendation. Shouldn't parents be guiding their children rather than government officials? Finally, LD-912 is a threat to religious liberty. In Genesis 127, it states, male and female, he created them. Parents have the right to seek out counsel that does not oppose their religious beliefs. What's next? Will parents be persecuted for giving their child biblical counsel? How about pastors who read scriptures such as this from the pulpit? We urge this committee to vote ought not to pass on LD-912. Good afternoon. Pleasure to be here today. 
My name is uh, Ted Robinson, and I'm from Sedgwick, Maine. I am the executive director of Free Indeed Ministries here in Maine. We were established in uh, 2001 by Aaron Shorey, who was kind of a mover and shaker in the ex-gay movement. And, uh, and then Bill Irwin took it over, and, uh, and I run it now. What we provide is one-on-one uh, -on -one personal coaching for people that need support and mentorship with um, sexual addiction um, and all sorts of same-sex attraction, unwanted same-sex attraction. In the 18 years of our faithful service to the community, uh, I cannot think of an occasion where we targeted LGBTQ youth. Uh, this is a villainous uh, stereotype. I don't even know who these people are you're referring to, reparative conversion villains. That's certainly not us. The, the, the people that come to us are in desperate need. And we provide loving care. And as life coaches, we are ethically bound not to give direct counsel. We help people reach and attain their goals. We ask good questions. We frame options. But we never use fear, shame, coercion, and many of the things that have been introduced here today. Now, the American Psychological Association has yet to classify pornography as an addiction. And yet, how is it that I am drowning in applications of people wanting freedom from pornography addiction? You are basing your, all of your belief systems on, a, on flawed men, just like maybe some on our side do. There's abuses on your side. Yes, there's abuses on our side. I will acknowledge that. But the age of the homophobic church is is changing, and people are, are uh, treated with great care. Now, what I believe is on trial here is this book, the Bible. Who, who believes that LGBTQ behavior is wrong? It is a very narrow selection of people, very narrow. The liberal church doesn't believe the Bible teaches that. It is only conservative evangelicalism. And that church is in decline in New England. You are poking your stick at a sleeping giant. And when the true church of God awakens, this is the doorway to religious persecution. You can dress it in any form you want. But you are hindering parents from choosing to take their child to the counselor of their specific biblical worldview. I don't know how else to read it. I never thought I would see it in my day. Where a man of God who teaches the Bible, a book that has passed the tests of time, of higher criticism, that has overwhelming manuscript evidence, this book, Manuscript evidence of original writer to first, uh, to first manuscript, overwhelming. This is a credi credible historical document. It is a counseling tool. What's the next step? If somebody struggling with same-sex attraction reads this book and they're a youth, it will lead them to 
it will lead them to uh, forsake that lifestyle. But it does not stop with brokenness. That is not the end of the story. It stops with redemption through Jesus Christ. Redemption. Can I have one more minute, please? You're plunging our state into absolute darkness, and I need one more minute. I'm sorry. We're holding everyone accountable to this, but we may have some questions. You let your people talk on and on and ask them questions. Just give me one more minute. <laughs> I'm sorry, but somebody here may have a question for you. I was sexually abused as a child. I was homosexually active at the age of 10. My wife and I have been to hell and back with, this, with these issues. And we found in the gospel Sir. a place of belonging, a place of acceptance, a place of inner healing. I'm sorry. Thank you. Any questions? Thank you. You will be held accountable for your decision if you put this law in action. Ma Madam Chair. I believe the time has expired. Yep. This is a stacked deck. Sir, Madam Chair, the time you. has expired. Thank okay. you very much. Hi. Go ahead. Hi there. Senator Volk, Representative Facto, and other members of the Committee on Labor, Commerce, Research, and Economic Development. My name is Savannah Green. I'm 18 years old. I'm a senior at Gardner Area High School, and I'm speaking to you all to ask you to pass LD 912. I recall standing in the girls' locker room my freshman year of high school. I found myself feeling gloomy about having yet another lonely Valentine's Day when one of my friends pulled out a rainbow bouquet of flowers and asked me to go to the school dance with her, but in a completely platonic way. Without hesitation, I said yes and went about the rest of my day as I normally would. Later on the bus ride home, it sunk in. I had spent all day surrounded by people who had known my biggest secret at the time. Now I had to spend yet another night feeling an undying guilt that my mother didn't know about the real me. There were multiple reasons behind me staying in the closet. The first and foremost being that I was always the, quote, perfect child, the one that never acts out of the ordinary. Another reason being that just two years prior, my Sunday school teacher had told me that God would forgive me if I murdered someone, but not if I was gay. I did not want to end up like all the horrific stories I'd heard about when kids came out to their parents. As I walked into the house after school, my mother greeted me with a warm smile and then asked who the flowers were from. I felt my limbs go cold and my heart, along with my stomach, drop to the floor. In a panic, I said, hold on, I have to go set my stuff down in my room. By the time I set down my book bag on my bed and the flowers on my dresser, I made my way back into the kitchen. I tried my best to change the subject. However, my mom, classically, kept prying for information. It's from my friend Emily. I said nonchalantly, acting as if it were no big deal. Savannah, I have a question for you. I knew what was coming, and it sent me down a quick spiral of panic. She continued, are you thinking you might be gay? I chuckled and was at a sudden loss for words. Before I could even speak, tears streamed down my face, and all I could get out was, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. My mother immediately embraced me and told me everything was going to be all right. Luckily for me, my mother accepted me as I was and still am. However, this is not the case for far too many LGBTQ plus youth whose family are not supportive. The statistics for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender homeless youth are shocking, as this group represents up to 40% of all young people experiencing homelessness. 
The harmful and discredited practice of conversion therapy should be illegal here in Maine. I urge this committee to pass LD 912 and protect young people like me. It's the right thing to do. Good afternoon. I'm Dr. Diane Tennis, and I want to thank you for that opportunity to be here. Uh, both thank you, Senator Volk, as well as Representative Fecto and the rest of the committee. I am here uh, in support of LD 912. I'm a forensic psychologist, and I am representing the Maine Psychological Association. I'm a past president, as well as the current legislative chair. And as you can imagine, we have spent a very a fair amount of time looking at this bill and looking at uh, wanting to provide you with information, which you've had a ton of today. Some of it accurate, some of it may not be as accurate. So I want to just address a couple of major points. MEPA opposes conversion therapy as an unethical practice. We have ethical guidelines and codes. You've heard about that. So I want to make two major key points that I think are really relevant here that, that I want you to pay attention to, hopefully, as you're moving through debating this. One is that every professional association in the fields of psychology, psychiatry, social work, pediatrics, and other healthcare associations nationwide and, and frankly, internationally oppose the practice of conversion therapy. SAMHSA actually issued a statement of professional consensus. You know, we don't get professional consensus in a lot of places in psychology, so we take it when we can get it. And this is one of the places where there is consensus. This practice defined in 912 that therapists can work within is not supported by credible evidence, independent research that's been peer-reviewed. It's been disavowed by behavior experts and associations. So we concur with the conclusion that this type of therapy puts children and adolescents at risk. I stand before you as someone who formed the Maine Psychological Association. We are a member organization, and our mission is to advance psychology as a science and profession, as well as promoting health and human welfare. So I stand before you to advocate for science, and I realize that that's not the most popular view these days, but I will like to bring to your attention that there is this consensus of professionals, and I encourage you to rely on the empirical basis of the research that this is an unethical practice that, it, that is potentially harmful for individuals. So in conclusion, we support LD 912, and we urge the committee to pass this bill. The Legislature's Labor, Commerce, Research, and Economic Development Committee plans to hold a work session on this bill, LD-912, on February 27th. In the meantime, if you wish, you can submit written comments to them via the links at legislature.maine.gov. Again, that's the Legislature's Labor, Commerce, Research, and Economic Development Committee. You've been listening to Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. Join me here every Tuesday at 4, and stay tuned for Democracy Now! coming up next here on Community Radio WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org.